Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's up? This is Sync Gems. I'm your host, Roy Matz. And today we have an insane guest, Brian Wynn. Brian has been the music director of creative licensing for Ghostwriter Music, which is a label with amazing works and amazing writers. Brian has worked on movies like Ready Player One, Men in Black, How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Recent Avatar, and many, many more. We talk about Brian's story from working in retail to making a full living doing music. We talk about the label side, negotiating fees, what are custom tracks, why is community so important. We also talk about why the sync world wants your uniqueness and how composers can get into the movies they want. There are a lot of big gems all the way until the end. I recommend you stick all the way to the end because this is an amazing, resourceful man. And he gives out so much knowledge here. If you dig this podcast, go ahead to wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review, and leave a comment with one or two ways that the podcast has helped you on your journey. This really helps spread the word, and I appreciate it. Now, without further ado, my man, Brian Wynn. Brian Wynn. What up? What is up? What is happening? You know, what's today? Was it Wednesday? It's like the beginning of the week, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, Hell yeah. Thanks for having me. Man, thanks for coming on and just showing your immediate, immediate coolness. <laughs> you were just like, let's get it. Let's get it. Yeah, you're like, hey, you want to do a podcast? I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I want to ask you. I want to. I want to just like go in real deep, real fast, if that's okay with you. I wanna. I want to dive to your story until Ready Player One. Okay. Tell me before that the the process before that. Um, okay. So before that, I was, uh, geez, what was I? This was like 2015. I would say this is around 2015. I was still working retail. I was still working, uh, I was working at a GameStop. <laughs> I was like mm. a video game store. Um, and you know, I went to music school prior to that. So it was definitely something I definitely wanted to pursue. At the time, it was about live performing, uh, live performing arts. I wanted to be, you know, in a touring band. I wanted to perform. That's literally my main purpose of everything. I went to school for playing drums. So going from that, immediately afterwards, doing the the gig for a while, and then realizing I kind of wanted just to, like, not so much settle down, but I just wanted to kind of just do the week by week, do that grind, and just try to build from there and see where I went organically. Um, so I worked retail for a little bit, moved to corporate, worked, um, worked in insurance, which is the most boring job you can think of. 
And then, you know, when I was there, I remember seeing on Facebook uh, another composer at the time. His name was Cody Still. He posted uh, a placement he got. And at the time, I had no idea. It was a Lego Batman 2 video game trailer. And I remember at the time, something clicked in my brain. I was just like, wait, 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 wait. There's a whole industry for this? I just assumed maybe the composer of the game or the composer of the film did the trailers. I never for never in my wildest dream believed that, like, oh, just your everyday person, you know? Not to say Cody's an everyday person, but he's amazing at what he did uh, on that. But in general, it was just one of those things where it kind of connected to me that this was a viable kind of uh, industry to kind of do. So from there, I just started adding uh, a bunch of people that was part of that label and just trying to talk to both the publishers and the composers and just trying to see what it was like. And I remember coming across another composer who was finding decent success in it. And I was asking him and he's like, well, you know what, how about you just write something and you just send it to me and I, you know, I can give you critiques on it. At the time, I was using like GarageBand. So I was like, all right, I can do this. I put together like the shittiest track you could possibly put together. And I, I remember being so proud of it. I remember showing it to my wife. I'm like, look at here, this masterpiece. And I sent it over to him. And he was like, there's no way this would ever land in a trailer. And it broke my heart. <laughs> but honestly, it was, if there was ever a moment, it was, a, it was the best moment of someone not just telling me good job and just keep going with it. It was like, hey, I know you could probably do better than this. Let's see what we can do. So I told him to send me like a shopping cart list of, virtual instruments I should buy to send me a list of like what my computer spec should be. And at the time I was running an iMac with like four gigabytes of Ram that I kept up until like 2017. Um, and he sent me this whole list. So I was, I bought everything and anything that I could within reasonable means um, in terms of like, Oh, I bought the contact five, I bought all like the starter ones. And I just started going from there. Um, so I just started doing that. I found some lower publishers that did mainly TV stuff. They're trying to get into the trailer stuff, which is what I really wanted to do. Um, and, you know, they, they allowed me to write on a couple of their uh, albums. There were one or two tracks. Took me months to write them, but, you know, that's how it went. And then I went back to uh, Cody and, you know, was talking about his publisher. And so I got in contact with their publisher to, you know, write for their album. Um, at the time, they didn't respond back because they didn't really know me. And, you know, I imagine they got flooded with hundreds of requests a day. So I found another composer that was kind of writing for them and asked if he wanted to collaborate with me. So this 2015, 2016 area, I asked him to collaborate with me on a track just so that I can have his name on the track when I send it. So I sent off that submission. Immediately, he got hit up by the phone. He's like, hey, is this, are, are you really on this track? He's like, yeah. And that was my start into the trailer world. Um, and then so from there, you know, I just started writing, just started writing for uh, more labels. And then I eventually picked up a job at another publishing house. And from there, it was like my first real taste of what it's like on the client side. And I've always come from like a sales position. So that, you know, that was actually natural to me to just be able to talk to clients. So after about like eight or nine months of that, I remember I met a, uh, Chris and Travis, who are the partners at Ghostwriter, um, I met them at a bar at an event, composer event that I put together with uh, some friends and they showed up and I just started talking to them. And it was like maybe 
four or five months of talking over the summer and into the fall. They're like, hey, you should come work here, you know? And I was like, you know, if it makes sense for me, then definitely. And I eventually did. Um, and then I came over here in 2017. It was October 2017. I joined Ghostwriter. And I've been here ever since. I'm about to hit my five year here. So it's been a little while. Um, and from there, I've just been uh, kind of wearing multiple hats. I kind of came in to try to sell the albums at the time. And then I merged over to doing uh, a lot of the custom writing. And then now it's kind of like an in-between world where I kind of help other composers with customs and trying to get them to that point where the clients will be happy with it. And then the clients, you know, will then in turn finish the project. So mm. that's my life story. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's, let's, let's take it back a little bit. So when was your first placement your first let's say breakthrough where you were like i can do this oh man i think it, there was multiple fronts because um there was there was back when like 2016 2017 uh, it was 2016 i got asked to uh i got asked to like score a dr pepper commercial and i remember at the time they told me here's a set amount to do the commercial, but if it doesn't land, you get this uh, set amount. And I even, I thought of the kill fee that they gave me. I'm like, wow, that was pretty good for what I did. You know, at the time I had no general concept of what was making it or not, but doing that, it took me about two days to write the track and submitting it. Even though we ended up not winning it, it was still one of those things where I'm like, Oh, Hey, I can do this. Fast forward to 2017. Um, I, you know, I was working at a publishing house and then I was doing a custom myself because it was just easier at the time for me to kind of do it because I was right there talking to the editor. The editor was giving me the notes directly. And then I stopped looking. It was at the point where I stopped looking at my music as just, this is what you're supposed to listen to, as opposed to, this is how it should be paired with uh, visuals. It was my first time really a kind of, I don't know, from a mindset level, thinking about how things would work in tandem with, with video, as opposed to just thinking like, Oh, this would be cool. If it went from this to this and thinking about the dynamic level, how my track begins and starts and begins and ends, but more necessarily on how this custom track fits the need of what the editor wants and like learning things like cast runs who not a lot of composers when they're working on trailer tracks, even thinks about, you know, like, Oh, what kind of feature is it? Is there a lot of actors and that are notable? That means that there's going to be a cast run. That means it's going to be a really fast montage moment that's going to run through all the graphics. Like these are all things I try to keep in my mind when I'm starting a new custom and a new project. I'm going to think to myself, what are the things that they're going to probably need for this kind of campaign? Like if you're looking at, let's say, you know, a project that has a lot of notable actors, like let's say Fast and Furious or Avengers or anything like that. It's going to be one of those things where, isn't it one of those things where it's just going to come naturally? Like, okay, there's going to be a lot of stop moments for jokes and dialogue, and then it's going to zoom into cast runs. And that was the moment when I was working back in like 2017 on this project that I was just like, oh, like, I can do this. So I stopped thinking of what I was doing. Like, oh, I'm just going to write music for a library. It was more in terms of I'm going to write music that specifically fits the need of what the editor wants. Wow. Word. So what does the editor want? They want dope music, man. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> but in general, what they want. 
they want they want enough to work with and it brings a lot of points of like can something be constructed and deconstructed in a way where it's easier for the editor to work with is it going to be something where it's streamlined enough for the editor to know where points of edits are going to be or if there's enough of the song for them to work with and even on how you export stuff is the export going to be uh easier for them let's just say it's just a common uh let's just say if it's a romantic comedy or something like that how are we exporting these projects to kind of fit the need of the of the editor are we just doing a full mix and then the stems if we're doing a remix or an overlay are we producing an overlay only version so that we can pair with whatever they already have in their sequence these are like all these little intricate things that like you know we need to consider as a composer as a publisher to be able to just make life easier on a on a uh, editor also those stem counts you know getting those stem counts down and i'm a huge i'm a huge culprit of that i used to print like 30 stems. i used to print everything like super exact i'm like okay low drum mid drum high drum hi-hat symbol all separately like like they were going to mix it or something and then they came back like hey uh we can't put this many tracks on avid you know without consolidating <laughs> so it's just a matter of uh, being able to provide them with enough modular use, like a toolkit, a modular toolkit for every custom that they do that just seems to work. Word. Okay. I want to also, I want to go all over the place with you, if that's fine. What's your, what's your vision for the world of sync fees? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where I would love for them to just keep going up and up and up, but ambitiously with the rise of so many publishing companies and everything, there's no real, there's, it's not like there's a standardized rate. It's, you know, between studios and uh, publishers and stuff, they're going to, they're going to offer a certain amount. And let's say they take a lot of precedence into it. So let's say, yes, you know, you might give, do them a favor and quote something a little, a bit lower on one project. They take that as now your standardized rate for the rest of the project. Mm. So it's definitely a lot of negotiation and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of, I guess, negotiations that happen with that kind of thing. Um, we always try to be as fair as we can be with every project, depending on studio and stuff. Granted, there's always going to be those projects like, you know, the, 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 the smaller non uh, big studio stream networks, you know, that I feel like are always a good opportunity for a newer composer to learn. And then, like, I, I usually treat those like, okay, this is, like, the hotbed for my new composer to work with notes. It's really see firsthand how these kind of uh, projects kind of run. They're usually slower turnarounds, so they're not stressed about the very next day. So I usually take the lower rate ones just as a kind of, I don't know, I would say a training ground. And then as soon as they build them up, they're on, you know, the, the Amazon project or the Warner Brother projects or something. Mm. But overall, I try to be as fair. We we at, we at Ghostwriter try to be as fair as we can be. Yeah. So, I'd like to dive in a bit deeper into this world. Yeah. How does a library decide on a fee? What does what do what does a brief look like, and what do what does the label side yeah. look from on that end? How does it look on on your end as a publisher and 
on any publisher basically how does it look for for a library when they when they uh when they get a sync fee for for a track how do these work so you're basically saying how do we equate any of it right mm-hmm. and pretty much it's it's a mixed bag because there are times where you get briefs from clients it shows you exactly how much you're going to make on there. They were like, this is the exact budget we have on it. So in those cases, it's like, okay, we know what we're jumping into when we're getting into it. A lot of the big temple films, the big flagship uh, titles that you're going to see that's coming out in theaters, those are pretty generalized on what you're doing. Um, they're not going to quote two things the same thing. You know, if, if someone comes in and only has a guitar stem or a hit stem, they're not definitely not going to make as much as the next person who had a full original custom. So pretty much it's gauged on if it, is it an overlay? Is, was it customized? Was it something that was pre-existing or recycled from a different project? What's the time link that was used in the actual project? They'll, they'll note that in the cue sheet as well. Um, a lot of times they factor in how many revisions it took. A lot of times they'll also factor in if there's a really expensive artist that you're overlaying on top of. Let's just say, hypothetically, you are, I asked you, you have to remix a Taylor Swift song that she collaborated with you 2 and Kanye just showed up and sang some stuff on it. That's going to be a really expensive artist track that they're going to have to clear on their own end. So that doesn't sometimes, in most cases, doesn't leave enough money sometimes to give us an adequate fee or whatever it might be. Like, that's just a, you know, a hypothetical, but that could be something that arises. Like, hey, we spent, we kind of blew our load and uh, sent all our money to this label to clear it. So now we don't have enough money to give this rate for you, you know, happens. Mm. And it also depends on what territory rights there are. Is it just going to be theatrical? Is it going to play in theaters? Is it just uh, all media except theatrical? Is it just going to be played on TV or just play on YouTube? Or is it going to be one of those things where is it um, is it a buyout where they're just buying all you know they're just buying out the queue? Is it a work for hire where they're literally just owning the queue afterwards? Or you know, there's so many different factors that boil down to the final equation of how much you'll get. So you can do you can do ten paramount uh, ten paramount projects, and all ten of them might be different in their own little ways. Got you. Would you say that as smaller artists or record labels, do people also compromise for the name? So let's say you were brought on, uh, you were brought on to. Let's say Avatar for your for your um yeah for this uh for this purpose you're brought on Avatar and there's a song with Kanye and Taylor Swift would you uh would you sell a track really low just so your track can be there so you can get more traction and work with more uh with more with more with more film or how does that work so essentially like would I would I negotiate lower or even take a lower one for that, for that extra clout of being part of mm. that product? Uh-huh. And it, it's always, you know, and that's an, an interesting question because a lot of the times the projects that have the clout are the projects that have the money to be able to pay it. Um, and I haven't really seen a case like that yet where they're like, well, this is a really great project, but the budget's not really there. Mm. It's, it's, 
been pretty much black or white. It's been pretty much, is this a really good picture? Then we have money for it. Is it one of the run of the mill, you know, B movies? Then we have the run of the mill B movie fees for it. So it's, ne- it hasn't been in that case. And I feel like there's a lot of negotiations on that that happened towards the end of it. Let's say we did a really, really ridiculous piece for it. And, you know, they loved it so much. I would say that, you know, you as a publisher have a little bit more leverage on being able to negotiate a higher one. Because at the end of the day, if they can't, if they can't afford it, they can either find a replacement for the entire thing or they just remove you from it. You know, and I've seen cases of that all the time, even from our end, you know, they're like, hmm, we couldn't really, you know, we couldn't afford to clear all these custom things. So we're just going to remove all these custom things and maybe just let the song play out as it is, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like there, yeah, there was a time like uh, we worked with it was with K Flay. We, we, you know, we worked on a uh, Netflix project, so it was uh, K Flay Blood in the Cut. And I think the project was called Last Mercenary. I remember there was an issue on clearance because at the end of the day, they're like, man, we're paying X amount for this, you know. But at the end of the day, if they couldn't, you know, they couldn't meet us in the middle, at least in negotiations for that kind of amount, then, then they would ultimately, at the end of the day, either choose a different cut or uh, have to play the song as is without any of the customizations done to it. Got you. And when you mean customization, what do you mean by that? So let's say someone sends us a song, they're like, hey, we got this really, really, really dope Coldplay song. But it doesn't really get there in the trailer. Just song, you know? Every song, unless it's like Imagine Dragons or something, isn't really trailerized in any way. Um, so it's, it can be anything from, Hey, we need, we need a section where this breaks out into something else, but we needed to transition it. Or they're like, Hey, we want to use this chorus for the back end for the back, uh, section of this trailer, but we just need to spruce it up with strings and brass and just make it feel like it's part of the song or it's breaking out of the song and just going through all that. Or it could just be as easy as like, Hey, you know, we just need some, we just need some sound design on this track just to give it that little salt and pepper. Just give it, just make it a little spicy for the trailer. So like it can range from as minimal as that to like this big sweeping thing. Mm. What excites you about this? It's the creativity that everyday brings. That's what's really hard about um, people asking me what I'm doing that day, because honestly it can change. It can change from like, Hey, Maybe I'm doing nothing or, or maybe I'm just working on an album track or, Hey, maybe I'm working on this, this latest movie, but it's due in the morning, you know, and I have to figure out how to get it to this point. I get, you know, I get a, and I have to get it to B and I have to figure that out. So it's exciting because it's also like from the library writing side, it's always fun that you're kind of writing these tracks in hopes of imagining what it could be used for. But when you're working on customs, you know exactly what it's going to be used for. If I'm working on this, like when we worked on the Avatar re-release show that dropped yesterday, we knew exactly what it was for. So when we had to do any customizations for it, mentally we can visualize what's going to happen, you know? So like that adds that layer of excitement for me, I guess. I just really like doing customs because of that. And I love, I love being able to relay that and bring composers on, you know, that want to work on specific projects because I just know um, that authenticity sort of just kind of shines in that. If I know that someone desperately wants Avatar or something like that, I'm definitely going to try my hardest to get them there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Word. 
I know that you're big into community. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you about community's meaning in your life and what what you've gotten done with community and how you approach community. You know, and it's just the reason why I'm so big on it was no one had any reason to allow me to be part of this industry. No one had any right to be like, hey, we need another person. You know, I think at the time it was already saturated as it is. So the the fact that I can carve out a little space here means that I've had a lot of help from a lot of people from publishers in the past to my publisher here now to all my composers that help help the company every single week and all the clients and stuff. So um, what we've always kind of strived for here, especially as a team, is that we're all extremely close, you know, like we have different group channels for work based on uh, what we're talking about that day. So like game comments going on right now. So I have a gaming, uh, a gaming uh, community channel, which is me and some of the LA people here. And we're just basically just chatting away about all the latest stuff that's coming out. So we're all, you know, outside of work, I feel like we're all really close. So that always helps us. And that's the same thing with my composers. I try to talk to them, you know, aside from work, because I feel like I can get pretty abrasive for work. But other than that, I feel like it's always, you know, it's always better to be a close knit, you know, and especially with the, the trailer composer forum and stuff. I was using that one from day one, from as soon as I found out this was an industry, I asked so many questions on there. So it's only natural that if someone kind of transcends to the other side where they they might have a little bit of information that, you know, they should share it. So and that's how I've always approached it because I felt like it took a while for me to learn the custom game on my own. So as soon as any composer might have questions on it, I've always been there to sort of answer it. Yeah, you jump in head first, man. You jump. Yeah, in you know, first. I try. Like you know, half some like you know, a lot of the times I feel like most most of the questions sometimes just kind of boil down to can I make money doing this? But at the at the same time, it's like there are very specific questions that if no one answers them, it it can really lead you astray. Sometimes you're like, wait, like you know, I thought this was what the industry was about. So I, I definitely want to make sure people are kind of uh, kind of in the know. And I always feel like it's always hard. I want to respond first because sometimes someone that might have less experience or might not know, they'll just guess and they'll just say the answer. And then so this one person asking the question might be led the wrong route, you know? So, so mm. yeah. Yeah. So that being said, uh, you know, how how does a how does a composer approach today's sync world? Whatever style he's doing, how would you approach it if you were on day one and you wanted to approach the sync world and you didn't have any con connection? You had a Mac, let's say, and a, a, just like you started, you know, just a MacBook Air, a MacBook, uh, and uh, and um, and a few hundred dollars. How would you approach the sync world? Um. You know, it'd be what's interesting about that. And, you know, this will be relevant and I promise it will be. Um, I have this one friend of mine. Uh, he was so convinced to make a full album, a full album of something, something that he would dedicate to himself. Was like, this is the opus of my life and this is what I want to represent. 
The only problem was this guy didn't have a single virtual instrument other than what he had on Logic's stock. So, <laughs> so he only had this MacBook that had uh, all stock instruments. He made one of the grandest albums I ever heard in my life that he sent me. It was on Spotify and he sent it to me and everything on it was just from the Logic stock. He used the Logic stock since and then he had the record from the, the, the touch bar. He had the little uh, speaker, the little microphone speaker. He recorded it in his own guitar. He sang into it with a headset. And it was one of the most profound experiences of my life listening to it. I didn't even know until he told me afterwards. He's like, yeah, I record all that from Logic. Like, it took me like six months, but I did it. So anything could happen in that sense. I feel like, and plus there's so many resources out there that was, wasn't there when I started. Granted, I started in 2015, but like um, the compressor I use right now, is a free compressor I found online. I'll, I'll link it to you later. But like, literally, it's a compressor I recommend everyone. I got it for free. The piano I used was $5 on the Spitfire Lab uh, samples pack. And so like, I'm always a huge purveyor of like, you know, if it works and it gets the job done and it excites you, that's all that matters. The huge issue I know from the industry of anyone starting out is that they try so hard. They try so hard to sound like the next person. And I think that's always a little crazy to me. It's like, if I wanted someone to sound like X, uh, person X right here, they would just go to person X, you know, like at the end of the day, they, that's, that's just it. There's so many of us. So capitalize on your strengths. And I'm not saying that like never try to expand or improve, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, how do we get to this point right now where where you're just kind of looking within yourself and being like, okay, so these are my strengths. I'm really great at drum programming. I'm really great at synth work. I'm really good at horror. Or I'm really good at very uh, specific international, like ethnic style instrumentation. So let's dive head first into it. Um, I have some composers that are amazing at string work. Like their string work is, you know, beats, beats everyone but their brass work might not be there so you know what we did we're going to release a bunch of string albums for them you know like we want to capitalize on your strengths so that it sounds authentic and we definitely don't want to veer towards a realm where it just starts feeling like you're just trying to sound like the next person and i feel like i try i try the very least try to approach customs the same way so i think that's the huge thing is knowing what your strengths are right now as let's say a person who just has a macbook I want to be able to, I want to do this kind of style of music, you know, a couple hundred bucks. There are definitely a lot of, <laughs> there's always a lot of black Friday sales for libraries and stuff like that. I haven't bought a new library for my theater um, in like three years. So like whatever you get, just make sure, you know, stick with it. I start with Metropolis art, you know, there you go. It gives you brass string choir, some drums, and then you're good to go for, some trailer stuff. Um, there's a lot of YouTube uh, resources. Alex McCullough, amazing. And there's a ton of people that's doing great uh, YouTube tutorials on all this stuff. Even some of the sample library um, YouTube channels are great because they literally break down uh, how to make certain sounds, you know? So I feel like there's enough resources and as long as you want it. And then just from a personal level, you know, watch movies, watch trailers, watch 
what's happening because it's not even just important to like know how to do these things is knowing what's in and what's going and what's coming right so you know there was a huge period of time where all we were doing were covers i remember when i started that's all we did were covers so we did covers and then lo and behold overlays and remixes came in so we started doing a lot of remixes it was almost to the point where we were just producers as opposed to like cinematic composers you know i'm glad that that's kind of you know it's a circle so it'll always just come back but like it's just one of those things where just knowing where where the next step is and not be afraid to join a community like the trailer group because everyone will always answer something and then find yourself a mentor like anyone that will answer any questions give feedback on stuff not just the hey this sounds pretty cool you know but the actual down to brass tags this is what you need to improve i feel like that is the most important i think thing to take away from it is find yourself someone that's not afraid to break down your track or you as a person i think that helps mm, word this definitely connects to the start of your story right how you you got started. yeah definitely it broke it, it broke my heart i remember after that <laughs> conversation i had with them because i don't know i maybe i maybe it was a delusion but i kind of like felt in my head like man i can really do this like maybe i can get it to sound really good maybe i could do this and i remember i was taking a walk i was uh we were, we were taking afternoon walks with me and my wife and we we're talking about, like man this composer just ripped me to shreds on this track <laughs> this composer mm. shreds in this track I don't know, man. Like I was all, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I just stick with it, with the insurance thing. Like I'm pretty good at it right now. Maybe I just stick with this and just let it go. But it was just something that kind of sparked. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to improve, if not just to prove to him that I can get it placed. Um, so it's always been like a never ending. I wouldn't say an ego battle, but it's always been a never ending struggle mentally for me to like want to succeed so that I can kind of tell my 2015 or 2016 year old self that I did do it, you know? So that's something I consciously think about like, man, I'm not, you know, I will get this place or, you know, someone tells me like, oh man, like this publisher told me that, you know, my stuff isn't placeable. I'm like, I'll get you placed, man. Like we'll do it. We'll figure it out. Like, that's just kind of, I don't know, maybe it's a competitive side of me. I'm always trying. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you know, I don't think it's ego at all. I think it's, there's there's hunger that is different to ego. Hunger is different to ego because ego is driven by very, very, thin things the ego is driven by little things and you want to 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 prove something to your uh, 2015 year old uh, 2015 self is to me it's the greatest measure of of progress right because if you have nothing to show your 2015 person then well you might as well get back to insurance because yeah. you, because you've measured at least you've measured your progress, you know. Yeah. So being hungry to prove him that to me, it's not a very external, it's not a very external thing, and also proving something to your mentor, you know, you are. It's the point is you are showing him your progress basically when you are proving something to to somebody 
there is another way of proving things that arguably isn't to, to me isn't the correct one where you're you're doing things that's what lights you up only to prove stuff to people which is puts you in a very conformist place where you can't be unique but being able to show your mentor that you're elevating is something that is it, it, it just gets you on to the next step with uh, it, it's not you for me it feels like i get on to my next self if i can prove somebody i respect that I'm improving according to their guidelines and according to my uniqueness. Agreed. So, so that's huge, man. That's capitalize on your strength is also something that I, I, I have to double click on because that's definitely what, in my experience, gets you in real relationships. Because again, if you're doing something like the next one, okay, people can take you if they want a, a replica for Frank Ocean, but they, they, they're looking for Frank Ocean. They're not looking for you. And that's a very dangerous spiral to get into. It's a lose-lose situation. Either, you, either they go to Frank Ocean, but if they can't afford Frank Ocean, you are now considered the bargain bin generic Frank Ocean, the wish.com Frank Ocean. And you know what? I don't know which one's worse. And honestly, I'd rather just lose that project to them and be known for what we do, you know? So like, it's, it's hard. It's, it's definitely, it's always a tricky balance of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you see one? How do, how do you think one can, actually elevate over these things with their unique self, you know, because there's so much noise again in this world telling you, oh, you need to do hip hop because sports has hip hop and, you know, uh, uh, folk doesn't do well. And, you know, all these little, little things that pop up. Um, how, how do you, how do you stay true while doing your thing? And if you want to get into sync, you know, there are infinite infinitely produce advertisement spots every single day chances are something's gonna line up you know there are two tiers i would say there's two towers to this it's what you're good at and what is the work that aligns with what you're good at you know a lot of times people are very good at one thing and they only want to do one thing but what they might like to work on is completely the opposite of what they're good at. They're only really good at folk. I'm definitely not going to get them on the next Doom Eternal game. You know, <laughs> that's what they would absolutely over the moon would love to do. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So it, there, there, there's a sense of realism that whatever you want to do would have to coincide with what is your end goal in terms of what projects you want to land. I have this one composer. I think he's fantastic. He hit me up 2018. All he wanted to do was move on. It was so random. I remember thinking about it. He was a, he's a Chinese based composer. Um, only wanted to work on Mulan. Then he sent me a list of stuff that he wanted to work on. It was all just Asian based films. And in my head, I'm like, damn, you better be really, really good at doing these uh, really authentic sounds or we're in trouble. You know, if he only hits me up, he's like, I only play big band jazz. You know, it's going to be a little bit of an issue. But 
I'm like, okay, cool. Let's double down and work on it. And a lot of the only reasons why he landed Mulan at the end with me was because his version just sounded way more authentic than everything else they've gotten thus far for that campaign. A lot of the campaign was very traditional Disney, very traditional uplifting. And his was the very first TV spot that was, was like, all right, we're using like real traditional instruments in this, but it is still trailerized. So we're still doubling down on, he's great at the trailer elements and he's great at doing the authentic uh, a Chinese culture element. So how do we combine those two? And it worked out. Also, then thus he went on to do a bunch of other stuff with me. But I also have this one random uh, composer that I've worked with now for five or six years he has the most brilliant voice that I've ever heard in my life, but it, it's so versatile. It can work in any setting, either a comedy or something very, very dramatic or folky or anything. He just has this really interesting voice that has a lot of diversity. Um, so it was always, always hard because I'm like, man, I only work on cinematic trailers. Where is his voice going to lend in that? That might lend a comedic flair. Where, where does that fit in? You know, a year later or something like that comes down the line. Someone hits me up like, hey, we need a 50-man group that sounds like they're from Kazakhstan singing Eminem or Borat. <laughs> like, okay, you know, who do I hit up? It's like, I hit him up, we land the project. And I feel like the only project I really work on, on with him are these like really, really obscure stuff. But there's always campaigns that need it. Like, oh, I need, I'm working on a what was it uh pet cemetery florida travel a home entertainment like it was like a blu-ray special but it starts off with an infomercial someone talking before it goes into the horror music so i had him just do all the the speech stuff and then there's always going to be weird like sort of uh diverse projects like that that i'm always going to need a certain composer for um yeah and then it a lot of the issues too when i learn it to work with a new composer is learning what that strength is because sometimes they don't even know what their strengths are. And that's always an interesting thing. Cause I remember when I first started here, we got this hip hop submission from a composer. I'm like, this sounds good. Like it sounded fine. Like it, it sounded like at the time we didn't have any. So I'm like, this sounds pretty good. And then I <laughs> come to realize we found out he was one of the most amazing Disney writers, like Disney type writers ever. He was the one that ended up working, uh, working on the Avatar re-release trailer with me. And I found out that's his lane. Like we, we found where he was and where he needed to be. And we just went head first, doubled down on his strengths into that kind of genre. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I can only say yeah to that. All, <laughs> all that you just, all that you just said. Whew. There's, so much to 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 the sync world there's so much an offer if let's say you want to do the 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 um, the next mulan the the guy that came up and 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 uh came up to you was in luck but let's say somebody again is starting out he doesn't have the relationship with you and they want to get into the next I don't know, let's say Spider-Man. How do they approach it publisher-wise? I guess it would be, <laughs> I guess every publisher is different, but I don't know. When people come up to me and they're like, I want to work on this. I, I try to, I have a little Excel sheet 
that uh, separates composers from strengths, weaknesses, and from uh, what projects that they want, and how do we get them there? You know, just because I don't know. At one point, I thought I just thought it would have been really fun to get people with the projects they wanted to do. So I just start saving what people wanted to do. Um, so you know, whenever composers approach me, uh, I I typically always send them. I always tell them send me their latest and greatest. You know, send me something you're proud of. It's not that I'm trying to publish whatever they're trying to send me. I just want to know where where their level cap is. Let's say this was a video game, where their level is and where is the level where they need to be in terms of to finish something. And I'm not opposed, and I'm definitely not opposed to taking any composer that might be newer, fresher, greener, whatever the name is in this industry and just work them to get to that point. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's not... I just don't want to be a gatekeeper to the industry and I just want to be able to help where I can, if I can. Um, so it's always different. I know that a lot of publishers are super busy. I can't say that all of them will respond. Um, and a lot of the times they might just think to themselves, Oh, this guy wants Spider-Man. Well, fuck, I want Spider-Man too. Fuck off. You know, so like, <laughs> they can definitely, you know, that's a positive what they think. You know, shit, I can think that sometimes too. They're like, Hey, we want Avengers. I'm like, shit, get in line. I want that too. <laughs> like, I get it. Like, but, but if it's like within my power, like uh, in, in a sense where if I do get in the project, like definitely. And I'm not, I have zero shame. I'll definitely ask the client, but Hey man, you, you know, like you got Spider-Man coming around the corner. Like, can I, try <laughs> like can i work on it like i'm not opposed to it so it's definitely one of those things where it's just interesting for me to be able to work because and i was going to get to this when a composer really wants a project you can feel it in the music and not even just from feeling from the music, you can really feel the effort that it took to make it like if i took a composer and be like hey you really want star wars you want to work on star wars you best believe this person is going to just knock it out of the park because they want it, you know? Um, yeah. Like it's, so there's that level of just, I feel like custom writing too is like 90% like muscle memory and like just strength training, but that extra 10% is just that little bit of magic that you give to it because you want it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, me, when I, you know, when I when I started doing custom writing and stuff like that, I wanted all the projects. I didn't care what it was. I remember working on a food documentary for Netflix, and man, I made that custom the best sounding thing I possibly could, even though they told me at the end they had like very, very, very little money for it. But I didn't care. I just really wanted any placement I could. Just this, just to, you know, to prove to myself that I could. And it was also a really hard thing in the beginning because sure now it might be a little bit different. Who knows? It's one of those things where if I tell a composer notes or anything like that, they are very malleable to be able to agree to it. Like, All right, cool. That makes sense. I'll do those notes. If I gave those notes in 2017, I get a lot of, mm, are you sure about that note? Like, how many placements do you have? Mm. <laughs> Which is what some composers would bring up. They're like, hey, how many, how many places do you have? Like, I have more placements than that. Like, what are you to tell me what to do? You know? So it was a... So I took 2017, 2018 to cram as many placements down so that I had some level of authority to be able to tell people what to do. Um, so it's always been that battle. It hasn't been lately, but it's just one of those things I had to kind of overcome in the beginning. Um, but yeah, like 
they want the project, they just got to ask. The worst thing I can do is say no. Or if I listen, I'm like, oh man, you're nowhere near ready. Like maybe we can do this to get you to some point that's ready. Uh, but I'm pretty transparent on where things need to be with composers. Um, but yeah, like just ask. Worst thing is I say no, but you'll be exactly where you are now. You know? Mm. What is the worst mistake you see composers do or maybe you've done as a composer oh man worst mistake you know there there can be just a basic thing as well i know know? thinking about i'm like man should i just give a basic one you know here's here's a big it's hard because i try to think of myself in their shoes too and did i do that and i'm like i probably did but you know, I think a huge one is uh, just allowing your relationship with your publishers to kind of grow organically as opposed to really, really stress testing your your relationship with them. Um, a lot of the times, and it could vary from, from publisher to publisher. So this is only my experience. Everyone else can say whatever they, they know. Um, I'm pretty transparent with all my composers on where statuses are on projects that they're working with. Even if they don't have to ask me for me to tell them, but if I know, I will let them know because I definitely don't want them to reach out to me every single day and be like, Hey, what's the, what's the status on this? You know, especially since publishers can be super slammed and stuff. We don't know. And I, I always, I'm always really honest with them. Like if I told you anything right now, I'd be guessing. So I don't know. Um, but another big mistake in general is just how you, label things i think the biggest mistake anyone can do right now in my life is just mislabel things or, or doing stems properly i think that's the that's just the biggest kicker in my life sometimes is, is how many ways that they can uh label um their stems in different ways to just utterly confuse me if it confuses me it'll confuse the editor which if the editor is confused they might just delete it so <laughs> um that's a pretty basic one though um I'm trying to think of other mistakes because I think this is a really important question. Um, oh, I know one. I got a good one. Send anyone an unpublished track to ask them to publish it, but then send it to like fucking 50 other publishing companies to publish it. Take one that you really like. If you want to send it to so-and-so, send it to them. If they decline it, then you take that back to the next person and the next person. Don't fast forward through the publishing game. When uh, when I started, it was like 2016, me and uh, another composer, same with Ricky, we finished this album. We shopped it around. We shopped it. We went to one publishing house. We're like, hey, man, we got the shit. And he was like, this is shit. And we're like, all right, good day. <laughs> Went to the second house. They're like, mm, this is not usually what we want. Which meant our track sucked. We don't want it. And then we took it to the third house. And then they were like, sure, we'll put it on our TV album. <laughs> like, you know, like, we're like, it's a win. But we went through the proper channels of going through publisher A, publisher B, publisher C. We just didn't mass blast all of them because what happened if two different houses one now you're breaking now you're burning a relationship with one of them mm. word yeah that one that one we keep that that answer we keep the rest of them whatever but that oh, yeah, one we, yeah, yeah, oh yeah 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 <laughs> scratch everything yeah, keep scratch this every, this is when the real podcast starts we're warming up <laughs> so we're getting started with sync licensing gems right now my man brian <laughs> win <laughs>
man. Yeah. I wanna I wanna ask you a few last questions. One is if you had to define your production style as a producer in three words, what would they be? Uh, three words describe me as a producer. I'm abrasive, extremely abrasive and thoughtful. <laughs> like that, got that's it. just, that's just how I am. I, uh, like how we roll at Ghost Rider is, is when we get a custom in or anything like that, from, from my standpoint, when I get a custom in, I'm not thinking of how many people can I send this to to get me the one I want? I'm just thinking in my head, the extra time that it's going to take for me to talk to this one composer to get this one option correct. So whenever we're competing on a project, we have literally one gem to give them, to give to the client. And the client, they ask anyone else, they might get 30 gems from another publishing house and then from us. So they have 30 to one. So that's like our chances sometimes. Hmm. The only the only winning factor that we could have is that we spent a lot more time with this one composer, you know, with this one idea. Unless the unless the client had any like, oh, can you send me two or three options? Then we have to. But like if it's those cases where they just give us one idea, we just give it to one composer to, to work on it, which exponentially helps them. But at the same time, it's one of those things where, okay, if I'm only giving it to this one person, I'm going to be on top of them to make sure that it's getting done properly, which is where I, I think a lot of my uh, abrasion comes from. It's just literally like, hey, do you understand all these notes? Okay, cool. When am I when am I getting this back? You know, so it's it's definitely one of those things that we kind of deal with. And that's the repercussions of what of what our workflow is like. Mm. Abrasive. Damn. All right, man. Um um before I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna let you go, is there any last piece of advice you'd like you'd like to leave composers with or people from the yeah, people who are aspiring composers in this world who want to make it to the next level. Is there a last piece of advice you got for them? Allow yourself to be broken down creatively in your craft because I feel like the only way that you're going to get better is to tear down what you already know sometimes. That's, that's just the way of life. I feel like there's no way around it. Um, building a strong foundation requires it. So I feel just allow yourself to, to, to be able to, you know, I'm not saying every chance you get, you know, but I'm just saying whenever anyone gives any sort of advice for this, take what, take it for what it is, but you have to internalize it and look within yourself on it, then allow yourself to break down on it. Because at the end of the day, if you improve that's it's just a win-win scenario. You know, you put in a little bit more effort then you improve, then you prove that other person wrong or you prove that person right, whichever it is. It's just the way of this industry. I feel like that's the only way of this industry that will allow you to get to the next level. Like a cocoon, like a butterfly. You got to break through the shell, you know? You stay in there, you'll molt. So there you go. All right, let's call this episode the... Pre- Butterfly producer. 
butterfly producer. Brian, the butterfly <laughs> producer. <laughs> Let's yeah. get it. Brian, the butterfly. <laughs> You'll be nicknamed on, in my WhatsApp. Brian, the butterfly <laughs> win. There you go, man. Let's get yeah. it. Where where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Facebook or uh, they can follow us on our website at ghostwritermusic.com. We just revamped it. It looks really nice. Um, and yeah. And then other than that, if they ever hit me up on email or anything like that. I, I'll always listen to every submission. My email is brian at ghostwritermusic.com. Hell yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming on, my man, and dropping all these gems. There's a lot. My notebook is filled. Yeah, Thanks now for coming you, on, it, man. It will make me sound a lot like more put together because a lot of it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's a good point. I go into that. So that's just how I go, man. That's what happens that's, when I all day in a studio and then just hanging out with my three-year-old. So I have a lot more to say. <laughs> that's how the magic happens. That's the way, that's the thing that, I want that's the way that I want to hear things when yeah. I listen to podcasts. So thanks for coming on and being such a legend and giving giving an hour of your time for this. Yeah, no worries, homie. Yeah, just let me know if you ever need anything else, man. Yo, how good was this conversation with Brian? If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star review and leave a comment. This really, really helps to spread the word about the podcast and to help more people like you taking in these big gems, just like you just did. So see you in the next episode of Sync Gems. Peace. Peace.